Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of the SLP Talk Show. I am Carrie, and I am here with... Jim. Jim. Me. We're I'm back. Here. I'm here. We're back. We're back. It's 2024. Yes. Isn't I know. that crazy? It, it's, yeah. It's 2024, and the Kansas City Chiefs are headed back to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I'm sure that's everybody's favorite thing around the country. <laughs> well, here in Kansas City, it is a big deal. We it, are super excited. We're excited about it. But I know. most of the other countries... Right. Uh, outside us the rest of the country yeah. not too happy well that's okay other, we're, we're yeah, gonna what did i fun. say other country yeah probably other countries too maybe who knows i don't know we love our chiefs right <laughs> yeah we do we love it i know i've probably said this before but after growing up in the state of iowa right. where we have no professional sports at all when we moved right. to missouri to the kansas city area we just fell in love with the fact that yeah. we have professional sports yeah and, and for me growing up in iowa i got a kansas city chiefs helmet when i was five so you have been a fan your whole life, pretty much. Yes. See, I love And that. I was ridiculed for decades. You were for oh, having a Kansas oh, City. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right. Very good. Okie dokie. So before we jump into our topic, we of course have to do a quick game of chump or champ. Okay. Are you feeling lucky, Jim? Um. Sure. Are you feeling yeah. bright? I'm. <laughs> not so bright. No. Oh. Oh, you're so bright. It's okay. Should we tell them our inside no. joke? No. Okay. Can we just leave that? We'll just leave by right the side of the road. Okay. Well, someday maybe that'll come out. Okay. Um, so four questions. And if you get all okay. four right, you are a champ. Yes. If you miss any. I'm a chump. You're just a chump. Just yeah. for a minute. And then you go back to being my champ. Okay. Forever. Okay. Here we I'm go. Gonna, I got a bear. Yes, See? you have Aaron's favorite bear. Yeah, That's your uh, lucky bear. Okay, out. here we go. This will give me good luck. Okay, he's got his he's got his um, fidget in his hand. Yep. It's a little colorful sorting bear. It's green. Uh, yeah. Aaron, our son, who green is autistic, bear. he always, he still to this day, he loves those bears. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so Jim has a lucky bear, so yes. I'm feeling it. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Does zero stand for latitude or longitude on the equator? Latitude. Oh, see, I would not have known that, so yeah. yay. Ding, ding, ding. Question number two. If you get this, I'll be really impressed. What three colors are on the Irish flag? Uh, green, white, and red. Hmm, so close. No, green, white, and yellow. No, orange. Orange. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tony Hawk is one of the world's most prominent practitioners of what activity? Skateboarding. Skateboarding. Excellent. And the last one, and again, if you get this, I am going to be super impressed. I feel like maybe most people know this. Okay. But I Well, then I why, why are you going to be super impressed then? Because I wouldn't know it. Like, if you oh, asked okay. me, I would be, gotcha. well, but I don't know anything. I don't know any trivia. Okay. How many bones are in the human body? Oh, gosh. I think this was stated in several movies I've, I've seen. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll give you plus or minus two. How's that to get it right? 232. Uh, 206. 206. Yeah. 206 bones in yeah, the human see, body. Sarah Connor said that to 
um, like the doctor that was keeping her in the asylum in, in the Terminator, in Terminator two oh. or three. One, one of the Terminators. Okay. And she said, there are 206 bones in the human body. That's one. Wow. And she broke his arm. Okay. There so, we go. Very good. Well, that's now my you... recall. That's, you know, that, that's where I draw some of this stuff from. It's just Movies. stupid, but obviously I didn't get it right, so I didn't okay. draw too much from it. That's all right. Okay. Well, you're 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 not a champ today, but no, that's okay. No, I but there's, I feel good about the effort. There's always you know? next time an effort. You know yeah. what? Growth mindset. You get an A for effort. Yes. And yes. the only way to there's be successful always, in life is you have to fail first. Yeah. You know, and, and like my dad was a Cubs fan growing up. You know, and, and his favorite thing to say was, "Well, there's always next year." There's always next year. So there's always next time. There's always the next episode, right? Hey, Podcast is this episode. is this a uh, is this a historic episode? You know, this is episode number. 50. I 50. think that's kind of historic, don't you think? Wow. I know, right? I think that's crazy. I know. We've done 50 episodes. And I when I travel um, around the country and do my professional development trainings, I have to tell you, more and more people are commenting on the podcast and giving yeah. us feedback. Yeah. And um, I've had a couple people very probably recently. probably like, you should have 100 by now. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I've had a couple people comment on social media how much they enjoy this chumper champ. Really? And I had one, he's a dad, and he follows along and he said, it's my favorite, and I cheer when I get one right and Jim gets one wrong. Oh, man. <laughs> he's like, because it makes me feel so good So he must be minute. cheering a lot. <laughs> I just thought that was really cute. So anyways, we are going to go ahead and dive into our topic. Uh, this week, I have been doing several social media posts on the topic of play-based learning. And so I thought we could dive a little deeper. And what I really want to talk about is specifically, I don't know that I've done too much on this, but what play-based therapy is. I talk a lot about play-based learning, but I wanted to talk specifically about play-based therapy. Okay. So I'm a speech therapist. And I mean, I think this applies for occupational therapists. And um, I I think even, you know, in some regards for pediatric physical therapists as well. Mm -hmm. But I think this is really really an important topic. Uh, In my play-based learning course, I have added a few slides uh, because, uh, I don't know, I would say maybe six months or a year ago, I was kind of curious about the history of play-based therapy. And I was interested in, is there really any, like, anything in the research, you know, about doing play-based this therapy. This totally sounds like you. This is what I do, right? So <laughs> my joy in life is searching for evidence, you know, right. behind topics yep. that I find interesting. So yep. um, I did a little research and I found that play therapy has been used as a developmentally responsive approach to supporting children with a variety of needs. And so many of the strategies that we use in our pediatric therapy sessions, right? So I'm a speech therapist, so I'm really coming at this from my perspective. But again, I think uh, a lot of uh, pediatric occupational therapists, and I think even early childhood teachers, you know, everybody would kind of um, uh, agree with this. But a lot of those strategies we use in play-based therapy is actually, they're actually derived from play therapy there's, there's a train. There's our train. Yeah, our <laughs> new office. We're right next to a train there's Thomas. station. There's Thomas. Oh, Thomas. Yeah. Aaron used to love Thomas. I don't Thomas. know if people can hear that or not. but Yeah, I don't know. But there is definitely a train. We, we hear it. Um, uh, what am I talking about? Oh, but so the strategy. Did you lose your train of thought? The ho- oh, you're so <laughs> clever. You're so bright. See how know, clever I'm you so are? I know, I'm so bright. <laughs> Many of the strategies. This is my third time saying the sentence. Let's see if we can get out this time. Here's the fourth time. Many of the strategies that we use are derived from play therapy used in the field of psychology. Okay. And it's known as client-centered play therapy. So the acronym is CCPT. CCPT. Client-centered 
play therapy. So I was like, ooh, this looks interesting. So I started researching this. And client-centered play therapy focuses on the relationship between the therapist and the child to affect and support change. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's super cool because I have been – I've always referred to the approach that I believe in wholeheartedly as um, really focusing on relationship-based learning, right? That it's all about building that authentic connection, building that relationship. Because wouldn't you agree that just in general, uh, to have a relationship with another person, Mm -hmm. um, there has to be a connection, right? There has to be trust. Um, Trust is a big thing. uh, That is a big thing, right? Because I think if you don't have trust, then... I mean, it, it damages the validity of what you're saying. Absolutely. Or right? doing, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, everything. Yeah, I agree. So child-centered play therapy is based on Virginia Axline's eight guiding principles um, that actually she published in a book in 1969. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to real quickly share these eight principles. And then if you are a therapist, I would encourage you to kind of think about which ones do you use, you know? So and 1969, it's been out there a while. The year you were born. Yeah. So it must be good. It must be good. 1969 (laughs) was a good year, right? Okay, so here we go. Number one, the number one principle under CCPT is that the therapeutic relationship needs to be engaging, inviting, warm, and authentic. Hmm. That sounds nice, doesn't it? It does. Don't you want to be in a a therapeutic relationship like that? Sounds very nice. Yeah, I always say if like as a pediatric therapist, if the child sees you and cries... There's a, there's an issue. Do you know what I mean? Like if they see you and, and, or they walk into your therapy room or you walk into their home, if you know, you're an early intervention provider, if you, you know, if, if there's some kind of a negative reaction to the interaction you're having with them, Mm -hmm. we got to start over, right? You, you're, you're going to have to. What was uh, that story you told me? Um, it was about a, a a little boy that you did therapy with and he, he was kind of a flight risk, right? uh Uh-huh. And they would be out in public and he'd be oh. start he would start wandering yes. away and they would say oh we're gonna go see miss carrie and he would come right back oh my gosh i was i was because we drove by his his where his where he lived we drove right, by a school right. and i was like oh that school is in that little kiddo i used to see in, so in they his would backyard. they would use you yeah. to motivate him to come back to come home because <laughs> he would take off if they were out in public he would just be gone you know he would right. just run um he had a lot of energy and so they would say they would yell his name and go buddy we're going to go see Miss Carrie or Miss Carrie's coming. And he would stop in his tracks and he would come running back, climb in the car. And yep. they were like, we've been using that. I mean, I only saw him until he was three because he was right, an early intervention right. kiddo. But I saw him like at, you know, the grocery store because I, I live and work in the same community. You know, sure. I, I live in the same community where I work. So I see a lot of my clients out and about. And I thought that was so funny. She's like, he hasn't seen you for like two years, but he still remembers the joy, you yeah. know, and the well, connection. And see, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I brought I that up. I love that you brought that up. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's just like that. when you create these authentic connections yeah that's what happens you create this relationship that lasts for yep. years after yeah. you're done seeing him. I'm not sure it was good of the parents to lie to him like that. I mean, I would say <laughs> well, some of the yeah. time when he was little, it was true. Like Probably, I was yeah. meeting him at the house. But yeah. I just, it's funny that you remember that. That, I mean, for me, it's all about the relationship, sure. right? And so what therapists have to be skilled enough to do is to be able to write goals that focus on connection. If you mm-hmm. can write goals to, you know, focus on, because I always say it's regulation, connection, communication. Those are our real primary goals. So, right. um, Okay, so let's get back to child-centered play therapy. The second uh, guiding principle is that the child is unconditionally accepted as they are. And 
guys have mm-hmm. to tell you, as a neuroaffirming provider, yeah. this means, I mean, the fact that in 1969, this kind of concept was yeah. out there, that you need to accept them as they are, instead of, um, you know, ha- having a, an idea that, oh, we, we need to we need to work on you, we need to fix you, mm-hmm. you know, that there's something wrong with you, right? right. Yeah. So I love that. The third uh, guiding principle is that the therapeutic environment is non-judgmental. And I think that goes along with number two, yeah, right? Yeah, they kind of go hand in yeah, hand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the fourth uh, principle is that the therapist is attentive and sensitive. That's good, isn't okay, it? Okay, yeah. Like, like I, I always say you have, to, you have to meet the child where they're at, yeah. right? Well, and you and have to understand you, their sensory needs. Right. And, you're, you're not just moving on to the next the next checkbox. We'll see. And that's it. If you You're, are writing goals where the goal is to teach isolated skills out of context, so mm-hmm. you can make a, you know, fill in a box or make a check mark on a milestone list that, Oh, they can do this now. Uh, then you are going to be very, sensitive right Right. because you're not meeting them where they're at you're just in this to show progress and get the documentation and be able to show data right yeah yeah so okay the fifth principle this is my favorite the child leads the way the therapist follows Mm -hmm. how amazing is that that's great i mean and so this is when i like because when i do my my research for my courses where i have one of those like I dance like in my chair. I'm like, oh, here it is. Like it is actually like from the field of psychology, this child led play. Mm -hmm. And it makes me just so giddy to think that this isn't just something that like, you know, as a pediatric therapist that we just sort of, you know, stumbled upon and realized, hey, like play is good. Like, no, I mean, follow the child's lead, Mm -hmm. right? All the way back in the, in the 1960s, they were, they were commenting on this. Um, Number six. The process respects the child's ability to solve problems and make choices. So the way I would write that today is presume competence, right? right? Okay. Is is, mm-hmm. is allow understand? Yeah. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, is that we need to respect children. Every human being deserves respect, right. and. I don't think we should disrespect a child um, and snap at them and withhold desired things from them and make them earn breaks and things like that. Sure. I don't see how any of that is is respectful. I don't see how any of that um, is building autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I've added recently uh, when I talk about, especially with autistic children, when I talk about what our primary focuses are in therapy, it should be to um, you know support the child's regulation, uh, connection, mm-hmm. uh, communication, self-advocacy and I've added autonomy because I really think you know it's about uh, allowing them uh, to be who they're meant to be to Mm -hmm. let them thrive as their authentic self instead of trying to shape them into somebody that society thinks is is when I think you were saying that it it, it, like when you're withholding things Mm -hmm. that I mean isn't it more like just you're establishing your authority see it's about dominance isn't it right and you're saying I'm in charge here yeah yeah. You're going to do what I say. That's right. So it's about, are you choosing power and control mm-hmm. or are you choosing compassion and connection? And that's the distinction yeah, like I make there. Collaboration. You know, yeah. like we're, we're, we're doing this together. Yeah. 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 Teamwork. Absolutely. We're building this connection so that I can support your learning and development. That's mm-hmm. really my, what, how I view my role as a pediatric therapist, but I was trained and educated really via the um, medical model of disability, which Mm -hmm. said you're here to fix deficits. And so it's been really unlearning for me a lot. You know, I went to grad school, graduated in 1995. And so I've really had to unlearn and relearn um, how important that connection and that relationship is as a therapist. So it's like, you know, in a a sports metaphor, Uh like, 
in years past, there are coaches that would just say, you're doing it this way. Or, My way or the highway kind or of Or I'm going to kick you in the butt. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to run you until you can't run anymore. Right. Whereas now I think more coaching strategies are more like, you know, we're teaching you. you right. we're, we're more, uh, we're in this together. We're right. trying to, and, and I'm going to try to unlock everything I can your for potential. you. It's yeah. your potential though. And then, you know, because I think some of those old ways of doing it, they definitely worked for some people. And But um, it worked in the short term. It but I think the really capacity. good coaches knew who they could push that way and who they couldn't. Right. Because everybody's right. different. Everybody is different. But I think this whole idea, you know, coaching, because as an early intervention provider, that's what we do in our birth to three se- sessions is really mm-hmm. focus on parent coaching. Mm-hmm. And what coaching is, is not telling parents what to do. It's building their capacity to support their child's learning and development right. during everyday routines. And so yeah. I think that's a lot of what um, uh, we need to really think about our therapy sessions as being, is we're here to unlock your potential. We're here to build your capacity to thrive as your authentic right. self. All right, so number seven in the child-centered play therapy guiding principles. Therapy progresses at the child's pace and is not rushed. How Mm. beautiful is that? Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you right now, kids can sense when you're trying to speed them along. Hurry up. We got to get enough trials. We need to do more. I need you to do it again. I need more data. So we really, that's where when we say meet the child where they're at, pacing is everything. Sure. And then the eighth principle is the only limitations and boundaries set in the therapy session are those necessary to ensure that the therapeutic process stays genuine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I, I just think that these eight principles um, that we can kind of read them and adapt them, you know, to what we do as Mm -hmm. As pediatric speech OT PT and early childhood educators so one aspect of child-led therapy because this is what I really want to de- dig deep in is child-led therapy one of the aspects is what we're going to call facilitative play and facilitative play is where you allow the child to choose what materials they want to play with mm-hmm. and how they want to play with them okay when we do adult directed play mm-hmm. we decide right do you see the big difference there? So yeah. facilitative play. I kind of like that term. Um, you know, some people, uh, you know, they're like, well, child-led play just doesn't work because all the kid wants to do is like run around and, you know, they won't focus and pay attention. Well, if they're moving their bodies, they're probably telling you that from a sensory standpoint, they're not regulated, right? So maybe we need to uh, support their sensory needs in the moment. So question. Yes. So child-directed versus adult-directed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get into, okay, into that. Okay, so yeah. of those eight things that you uh-huh. just listed, I mean, is it easier, in your opinion, to accomplish and, and like the perfect session where uh-huh. you have all eight of those things being met? Uh-huh. With child-directed? No, with child-led. That's the only way to do this. And that's really, yeah, this is child-led. Versus adult-directed where you're you're dictating what's happening. Yeah, because you can't meet those eight principles if you are choosing power and control. If you've decided, this is what we're going to do. Now, there's going to be a time for adult-directed therapy. As a speech therapist, and I really want to talk about that, I'm not suggesting you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay, Mm -hmm. what we need to do, part of our requirement as skilled professionals is to use our critical thinking skills and Mm -hmm. to decide in the moment with this child which approach is best, right? And so that's what I really want to focus on. Um, I think there's a myth about the play of autistic kids. You know, we have an autistic son and mm-hmm. after having two neurotypical daughters, I think you and I would both agree, Aaron played differently oh, from the girls. Yeah, I mean, 100%. it was it was substantially different. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> uh, in a post this week that I did on social media, I actually shared 
uh, some of the bias that is still present in autism research. There was a uh, peer-reviewed journal article that I shared, and in the first paragraph, it actually said, literally, the play of autistic children is usually impaired. Impaired. They actually used the word impaired. And so this is what has gotten me fired up this week. You know, mm. there's always something. I always feel like there's something I read in the research that gets me fired up. Um, we need to recognize that play is the spontaneous activity of children. Mm-hmm. So that means there's no right or wrong way to play. What we have historically done is we have been biased and judgmental, and we have decided there is a right way to play, that there's a right way to play with the Fisher-Price barn, that there's a right way to play with uh, toy vehicles, that there's a right way to play with Play-Doh, right? So we have these these, um, ideas about we're going to do therapy and teach these kids to do it the right way right way mm-hmm. okay so that's bias that's bias and so we have to make sure that we're unpacking our implicit bias that mm. is running rampant in the field of speech language pathology and i would say in general in the therapy world okay, okay. so while we and when i say we i mean pediatric slps ot's which are occupational therapists physical therapists early childhood educators while we use many of those ccpt strategies from the field of psychology mm-hmm. what we do that's different from therapists in the field of psychology is we add additional strategies to our play-based sessions to foster development of cognitive, communication, social, emotional, social, emotional, physical, sensory, Mm -hmm. self-help. Like, does that make sense? As an SLP, obviously I'm focusing on communication, right? And social, emotional, right? So if you're a physical or an occupational therapist, you're focusing in maybe self-help and physical and sensory motor. So we want to think about those eight guiding principles from the field of psychology, but then we have to understand we are adding in additional strategies to support our profession, okay? So- What I want you guys to consider is get a visual in your head. I want you to think uh, of a continuum of learning from least to most structured. Okay. okay? So the least structured way to learn is through free play. Sure. And in free play, there's no adult preparation of materials. There's no adult participation in the child's play. And Mm -hmm. there is certainly no structure guidance or you know directions being given so free play um like when i think about when you and i were kids free play was playing out in the backyard with our friends you know there's no parents around or recess right there were no recess aides back in my day trying to dictate how we play or tell us to be safe or Mm -hmm. be careful like none of that really you know (laughs) happened back in that day um so that's free play and children learn naturally through free play children uh, some children, however, need a little bit more support sure. because maybe they are struggling in certain areas of development. Okay. okay. So free play may not be um, enough. So some kids who go to, let's say, daycare right. uh, where they get to engage in free play all day, they that may be not be enough to support their learning and development. So okay. the next uh, more structured would be what we call child-led adult-guided play. Child-led, adult-guided. Yeah, child-led, adult-guided. Meaning the child chooses what and how they play. Mm -hmm. The adult is there to, and I I would say the technical word is scaffold. We scaffold their learning and development. I always tell um, people, think about literal scaffolding in the construction world. Scaffolding is uh, a temporary support system that is erected alongside a building that's under construction or under repair. That's a great analogy for what we as pediatric therapists do for a living. We provide temporary supports while the child's brain and body are under construction. Cool. 
Isn't that cool? So yeah, scaffolding, like right? Yeah. So that's literally, I mean, I mean literally, it's, it's, it's scaffolding is um, what we do. Okay. So child-led, adult-guided. That's really where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of providers, a lot of therapists struggle with that because it doesn't seem structured enough. Okay. Okay. So what we were trained when I was in grad school, I'm going to tell you exactly what I was trained to do. And this is how most therapists are trained. It's adult directed play sure and adult directed play is highly structured by the therapist by the provider and what that means is they plan the activity they initiate the activity and they determine when the activity ends okay so those activities in adult directed learning they may be playful and they may be fun Mm -hmm. nobody's saying they're not yeah but they're not technically play because the child remember play is by definition the spontaneous activity of children uh, so because it's good that you threw that in yeah there. yeah because when it's adult directed it's not spontaneous no. it's it's certainly structured okay right. uh, by the adult but so it doesn't mean on it's the not, continuum it's at the it's right so you've got free play which is no structure right, right? okay then you've got child-led adult guided which is a little more structured if you will mm-hmm. then you have adult directed play which is structured, right? Okay, bye. But it doesn't mean it's not fun and playful. And then the most structured way to learn is direct instruction. And direct instruction is the most boring... Um, the least engaging, you know, it, when, once, once kids get to direct instruction, that's when you start hearing kids in school utter the three worst words you ever hear a student utter. I hate school. I hate school, right? You don't mm-hmm. hate school when learning is hands-on, minds-on. Mm-hmm. And that's really what play-based learning means is that it's hands-on, minds-on, that it's relevant and meaningful. And so, uh, you can't stop a child from learning when learning is relevant, right? Mm-hmm. When learning is joyful. Um, right. But we have found uh, in education a great way, uh, uh, you know, we figured out how to pluck all the joy out of learning, right? right? And so that's why kids hate learning. That's why they end up hating school. So what I did a uh, social media uh, post on this week was saying that adult structured play is kind of like chocolate covered broccoli, okay? <laughs> it looks like Something delicious on the outside, but you bite into it. See, and I was just thinking before when you were talking about, you know, d- direct instruction, uh-huh. I, I was thinking it's like eating your vegetables. See, thank you. I can't believe you would have said that. Like, you know, the way I they, love it. like, anything boiled, yeah, you know, it, right. I mean, it's just, oh. It's so funny, you guys, because when we do this podcast, these podcast episodes, I, I write notes, but I don't ever tell Jim. No, I don't have a Literally, clue. when we <laughs> sit down, I'll just say, hey, we're talking about play. Like, that's as much as Jim knows going into this. So that, just so you know, he never, it's not like he has a script. I mean, he, I have a few notes, but he doesn't ever get to see that. So it's always um, Yeah, my fun. script would be, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just fun to hear his take on that. So I love that you were thinking about vegetables. So this is how I would, again, get that continuum in your head from least to most structured so free play is candy Mm -hmm. okay uh child-led adult guided is yummy fruit right whatever your favorite fruits are they're sweet they're juicy but they're good for you right okay Okay? um chocolate covered broccoli that's adult directed play right it looks like chocolate on the outside you bite into it and you're like like, it's a dang work task right it's a dang (laughs) vegetable and then the most structured is just straight broccoli Right, boiled broccoli. That's what you get. Okay, droopy, unseasoned boiled broccoli. That's what you get. All right. So, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm hungry. Do you think? Since I keep talking about food. (laughs) 
All right. So child-led therapy gets a bad rap. I just want to be honest with you. Wow, there's a lot of trains yeah. today. Yeah. yeah. I was hoping we were going to be in a window without them. But, I wonder yeah. if, you know what we should do because we have nothing better to do. We should sit someday and just tally like in, in what hours of the day that there's most trains. That one was a freight train. Oh, I that was that. a freight train. So yeah. we, yeah, we have. I know the uh, difference now between. You the, can the, tell the difference. Between yeah. people trains and. Yeah. Our little trains. train station here in Lee Summit has Amtrak. Yeah. And those are the short trains, four or five cars, right? Mm-hmm. They buzz through here pretty quick. And then we get those uh, yeah. big, long freight trains. Okay. Child-led therapy, it gets a bad rap. And I think that what some providers think is that child-led therapy means you just follow the child around and hope and pray they do something that you can collect data on. Okay. Okay. That is not what we mean by child-led therapy. Okay? Hope and pray. Yeah. Hope and pray. It's the hope <laughs> and pray approach, right? Uh-huh. Um, child-led therapy means you know your goals and you address those goals in meaningful ways during play that is child-led. So play is just the medium through which we connect and engage. Okay. I think so many people think they have to write like play goals. You mm-hmm. don't have to write play goals. Play is the medium through which you teach. Right. Play is the medium through which kids learn. Okay. For play-based therapy to work, you have to know what gives each child their brain tingles. So this is why I say... Um, it, Quoting the great Dave oh, Hammer. Oh, the great Dave Hammer. I know. I need to give him credit every time I say that because I learned that term uh, from him. Uh, he uh, and I co... Uh, he and I co-authored our apraxia book together. He's the one who back in 2018, he would talk about, you just got to know the child's brain tingles, right? Right. So a child's brain tingles are based on their, their passions, right? Their interests. So for play-based therapy to work, you need to individualize your sessions. You need to know what the child's favorite shows are, cartoons are, their Mm -hmm. favorite characters, their favorite video games. They, you need to know what their deep interests are. Um, I had one little guy, his deep interest was car washes. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we would watch YouTube videos of car washes and I could pull, pull more language from that kid. Wow. It was that little That's guy, awesome. yeah, that lived pretty close to us. Yeah, um, yeah, it was crazy. He was all, and I'm telling you, that kid, he was so passionate about car washes, and he knew the different types of brushes and different types of soap, like just stuff that. I mean, someday he will probably own a line of car washes. Well, he's probably going to revolutionize the car yeah, wash business. Yeah, he probably business, will. He know. probably will. So you need to know their deep interests, and you certainly need to know their sensory preferences. Mm-hmm. You need to know, for example, if they um, uh, are over-responsive in the auditory sense, then you probably don't want to, you know, be loud and, like, you know, laugh really loud and, and mm-hmm. do startling things sure. because that will cause them to put their hands over their ears right. and maybe start rocking, right? So you want to make sure you know their sensory profile, okay? Mm-hmm. So um, the other thing you need to know for play-based therapy to work is you need to know where the child falls on the language processing continuum. You need to know, is this child more of an analytic language processor where using a lot of single words and labeling things, um, uh, you know, and using self-talk and parallel talk and sentence expansion, those are strategies that work for analytic language learners. If they're analytic, you need to know that because the way you talk to them Mm -hmm. matters. But if they are a gestalt language processor, if they're autistic, and if they are acquiring language from whole to part in a gestalt manner gestalt is a german word that means um whole you know it, okay. it, it's it's that uh, the big from big to small um if they're a gestalt language processor you need to know that you need to be modeling intonationally interesting um phrases right and sure. and, and and scripts instead of uh, lots of, of single words instead of labeling uh, things in so it really matters how they are acquiring language so for autistic children specifically we should be writing therapy uh, goals to address regulation Connection, communication, autonomy, and self-advocacy. And you've got to understand that when we write our goals, 
That way, we can address them during any activity that is interesting to the child. If they want to play with Play-Doh, if they want to play with Legos, if they want to watch YouTube videos of car washes, right? It doesn't matter, right? Because we can address it in whatever is holding their focused attention in the moment. Mm -hmm. So in order for play-based therapy to work, the therapist actually has to, one of their greatest skills is to be able to fly by the seat of their pants. So well, you, many, say, you always say meet them where they're at. Meet them where they're at. And I mean that, like, literally. Like, I mean, you've got you, to meet You're adapting them to them, not See? the other way around. Oh, and I just, oh, this opens up another whole can of worms, Jim, which is mental flexibility. Sure. We are we the ones who have, have to be, be flexible. Mentally flexible. For, we always, especially about autistic kids, mm-hmm. people for decades have documented their rigid behavior and their unwillingness to change and their they, they become... Um, I don't know, they're they're inflexible. That's another word I hear a lot. Well, we're the ones being inflexible and rigid when we won't adapt our methods to support their learning needs. Right, you're trying to change them. Yeah, yeah. You know, so what's that one adapt, quote? I, uh, or make them adapt to you. And that's not um, appropriate. Um, I wish I had it in front of me, but there's a great quote, and I have it in my autism course, and it says, if a flower doesn't bloom... Um, you change the environment in which it grows. Mm-hmm. You don't fix the flower. Right. Same thing for kids. If a child isn't thriving, you fix the environment in which they learn. You don't fix the child. Right. For decades, we've been trying to fix autistic kids right. as though they were broken or defective, right? So um, uh, when when we're writing goals, um, for especially for autistic kids, you don't want to write goals to teach the child how to play in a prescribed way. Okay. Does that make sense? If you write, if you're writing any kind of goal related to play, it would be more based in the domain of connection, of interaction, of socialization. Does that make sense? Sure. Instead of saying they'll play with five toys appropriately. Like, well, what does appropriately mean, right? right. So it's not about the play. Um, play is the way all children learn. Play isn't the way some children learn. Play is the way all children learn. And play can present in many different ways. Hmm. Autistic play is authentic play. All right? It's, sorry, I'm pounding on the table. See, Jim's like, (laughs) stop pounding on the table. But it's, for far too long, we have been convinced that autistic play is is pathologic. And it's not. Okay? Play-based therapy, uh, this is another myth. A lot of people think that play-based therapy means you're using toys in therapy. So I hear a lot of people say, oh, I do play-based therapy. And then I watch a session and it is the most structured thing I've ever seen. The kid is miserable. The behaviors are out of control. They're forcing him to sit in a chair. You know, maybe stick him in a cube chair. Have you ever seen a cube chair? It's got sides on it so they can't get out. And then they put like a table in front of them. Mm-hmm. That's called restraint. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and they say, no, this is play-based therapy because I'm using toys. No. Absolute boy, I'm I'm on fire, aren't I? Jim's like, oh, here <laughs> My she eyes goes. Are pretty big right here now. she goes. Okay, play-based therapy is not just using toys in therapy. Play-based therapy is about following the child's lead and mm-hmm. building on their strengths and interests during activities that are relevant and meaningful to the child. Child. So all of these speech therapy sessions where the SLP has spent a lot of time like planning a theme. You know, Mm -hmm. like, ooh, I'm going to do a whole session on apples or I'm going to do a whole session on... I'm just here to tell you, like, my kid, when Aaron was younger, he would have had nothing to do with your your dang apple session. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I, know, I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you homeschooled him for yeah. how long? Well, yeah, yeah, you tried, I'd right? I'd be like, okay, this is what I'm going to try to do today. Nope, nope, didn't do it. And he would just walk away from you, yep. like hide under the table, yep. you know? And this is, um, they, and that's why when we pulled him out of public schools, because they were saying he was non-compliant, you know, and right. he was refusing to participate. Well, the problem was we didn't know how to teach him. 
Aaron has taught you and I an awful lot. Oh hasn't yeah, he? well I, I mean literally had to meet him where he's at, and which a lot of times was under un- the table. underneath the table. I have the greatest picture. <laughs> I have to find it, Jim. I came home from work, so Jim homeschooled Aaron and I. Um, we, we've made a lot, a lot of sacrifices. Let's just be honest. I mean, yeah. living on one income has never been easy, but we had to do what was best, you know, for him at the time. Right. So you left your full time job and you homeschooled him. So I always say you were the teacher and I was like the principal, you know, because I <laughs> I would come home and like I would try to to support you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like you had to do the day to day grind with him. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have this. This great picture i came home from it's one work of the one greatest day. experiences of my life absolutely it is absolutely I'll, i mean oh, we honestly, need to do oh we need to do an episode where you write the episode and talk about homeschooling where i write the episode you write oh, the okay. episode that would be so fun but you guys listen to this i came home and aaron and jim are under the dining room table and aaron is as engaged as i've ever seen him <laughs> i mean and when i say jim had to meet him where he was at like literally yeah. I yeah. mean literally I remember when we tried to make like a little homeschool like area in our home for you and Aaron to work at and it was such a waste because he didn't want to do it yeah. I mean that was back when we were trying to use behaviorist methods like yeah. oh you can earn a break if you do these three things and yeah. it was so worthless no. I mean it just I, I think I abandoned that like pretty in quickly. two sessions yeah I think. pretty quickly so the primary emotions of play are interest and joy that mm-hmm. is a quote from Peter Gray the primary emotions of play our interest and joy. Peter Gray is author of the book called Free to Learn, right mm-hmm. over there on my bookshelf. Um, I highly recommend uh, that you guys check out a, the book called Free to Learn. It really. And that's pretty much what we were doing underneath the, yeah. the tables yeah. that we were playing bears and, and, and other stuff and, you know, whatever we wanted to do and just, yeah. you know, getting him to engage. And, getting him to engage, but I mean, I'm not. When, when we did send him to public school in second grade, second semester, second grade, we kind of had this realization I think he's regulated enough to, you know, be yeah. in a classroom. Yeah. now um Aaron was reading and writing like you were able to teach him all yeah. those things I mean it's amazing how how much he was able to learn when his teacher engaged in child-led adult guided yeah learning well right? and there was stuff that I mean he still talks to me today about some of the like we used to talk about longboats and Vikings and stuff like that and he's like dad you remember Vikings I'm like yeah I do I do buddy isn't that cool you know and I'm like See, yeah, you that, presume that competence. Some of the topics that you and him would talk about that he was engaged in, a lot of people would have said, oh, Aaron wouldn't understand that, you know, based on his no. standardized language scores, right? No, you were so good. You've always been so good at presuming competence with him. So um, many speech therapy sessions, just so you guys know, will be a combination of child-led play and adult-structured play, especially if you're a speech-language pathologist working on supporting children with speech sound disorders. If you have a child who can't, say certain sounds right and they're coming in it's going to be more structured let's be honest you're going to probably sit at a little table and chair it's going to be a more adult structured play meaning you're going to have fun and engaging games Mm -hmm. and playful activities but it is going to be more structured okay because you have to get so many trials right in order to build um you know uh those motor plans for example to be able to like when you're talking about apraxia apraxia or phonological uh disorder so this wouldn't be autistic children i'm talking about just in general slps if you're doing speech sound you know therapy for speech sound disorders it's probably not child-led I'm going to be honest with you it's probably much more adult directed okay Mm -hmm. but if you want to support language because speech and language are not the same thing okay if you want to support language if you want to support communication if you want to support social emotional um, if you want to build connection uh, uh, then we're talking about child-led adult guided Mm -hmm. right so I just don't want um, speech therapists who are listening to be like oh my gosh I have to stop doing all adult directed therapy 
that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is dependent on the child. It is depending on what your goals are. But I promise you for autistic children, if you choose adult structured play, adult directed play, you are not going to be able to build that authentic connection with the child. Okay. You are going to have to use child-led adult guided in order to support. And for some autistic children, when you first get started, it may just be playing alongside the child and not necessarily engaging. You've got to be okay with parallel play early on where mm-hmm. the child is doing their thing and you have your own set of materials, okay? You don't touch theirs early on. That's how you build trust, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and you um, will just sort of hang out and just let them know I'm a safe person. I'm not going to put demands on you, um, but I'm present in your life, right? Mm-hmm. So just being present. Uh, and always the number one strategy when supporting autistic children is talk less, We've got to use fewer spoken words because for a lot of autistic kids, um, uh, they are over-responsive in the auditory sense and Mm -hmm. too much talking causes them to shut down, disengage, and leads to overwhelm. So um, yeah, let's go ahead and and wrap this session up. Uh, Just just remember, you're building authentic connections, right? And and follow the child's lead and and watch, watch kids soar. It's an amazing thing when it happens. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up. Thanks for listening to another episode of the SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues to give us a listen. Now get out there, be kind, be accepting. Put your screens down for a bit and go outside. It is a beautiful world. And please don't forget to schedule your mammogram. Early detection could save your life. As an 11-year breast cancer survivor, it certainly saved mine. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.